no one knows what the, we are fucking doing. This is the truth. And sometimes we just need to wake up the next morning and be like, I'm doing it, whatever I need to do, but I'm just going to keep going. Sometimes you just need to do what you need to do to get the life you want. I said when I was 13, I would end up here. I'm here now, so I'm lucky. Today's guest was born in a small village just outside Porto in the northwest of Portugal. She spent her early years playing piano and dancing ballet, which inspired her love for musical theatre. Determined to make a life for herself outside of Portugal, Katia signed herself up for the most international degree she could find, which took her on overseas exchanges to Lithuania and Estonia. After saving up for three years working various customer service and hospitality jobs, she was finally able to fulfill her dream of moving to London, then COVID hit. Forced to reconsider her original plan, Katia worked as an au pair during the day and studied for her masters at night. Today, she works at one of the UK's leading marketing and advertising agencies, specialising in musical theatre on the West End. Katia, welcome to the What Your Friends Know podcast. Thank you for having me. So how are you feeling today after Portugal got eliminated from the World Cup yesterday? I'm so sad. It's not worth it. You know, let's not talk about it. It's just sad. Are you a Ronaldo fan? I am a Ronaldo fan. Always. You kind of have to be, don't you? He did a lot for our country, not only for football. So, yeah, it's really sad. And my heart bleeds for them. But I'm sure more opportunities will come for them to win. So... So you grew up in a very small village in Portugal. Albergueria Velha. <laughs> okay. I won't give that a try. Yeah. Tell me about growing up in... Um, you know, it had its perks and challenges. Um, I was with my grandma and my granddad. They, they took care of me and I was in this school for like 13 years of my life. The same school, the same classmates. Mm. So, you know, everyone know each other. And of course, there's always the challenge of or you grow up being really small minded and not having any, you know, dreams and just kind of confirming with what you have. Or you just go the other way and be like, no, I don't want to stay in this little town. I want more. I want to achieve more. Let me see what the world has out of here. You know, I think for me, it was definitely the second Um, It really shaped my mindset. And also because, you know, my grandma was always a person that she always wanted me to try, like, loads of stuff. So I did football when I was younger. You know, I did ballet. I did church choir. You know, (laughs) so many things that it kind of shaped who I am today and where I am today. Because if it wasn't for ballet that I danced for 10 years, you know, I would never get into arts. Or maybe I would because I have family in that side. But... Ballet kind of brought the spark um, of like, oh, I want to know more. I want to know Mm. how the show industry works. Um, So, yeah. But of course, with the fact when I when I found out I wanted arts when I was 13, a lot of people would be like, oh, you want to be unemployed. You don't Mm. want to get a job, you know, like, oh, maybe you should have like a plan A and that's your plan B, you know. So it's it's quite hard to kind of deal with that. And I wasn't very good at school. I mean, I had, like, okay grades, but never, like, the best, you know. So people sometimes feel that for you to kind of drive in arts industry, you just need to be the best. And sometimes it's not about being the best. It's about being hardworking in the in the end, you know. Do you think that growing up in such a small village... So how far is your village from Porto, for example? So from Porto is, like, 
45 minutes drive. Um, but I mean, we have to have in mind that <laughs> public transportation in Portugal is not the same as in London. Like here, you can go like literally from north to south, like you know what, 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. It's quite easy because of the tubes and stuff. But in Portugal, it's like for me to go to Aveiro, that is the closest city, I would have to get a bus, but that bus would run like hour by hour, mm. probably. So it's it's really hard, and you know it's not something that everyone will will do. Especially, I think Portugal, like families in Portugal, we are more, you know, family orientated, and we don't give so much freedom to kids and teenagers. I think in London, you come to London, and you know you have a ten years going to school by himself. You know, people go out from like. 15, 14, you have your first drink at 14 or something like that. You know, in Portugal, at least where I grew up, it wasn't like that. I was always like really protective. And my grandma was always like, oh, be careful, don't drink, don't do drugs, all that stuff. You know, um, also because of our mindset, but because of the village mindset, because it, it would be seen as like, oh, Bringing she's going to destroy your life. Yeah. Did you study music when you were in high school? No. <laughs> when you're in, um, in, sorry, when you're in like primary school, when you were younger, did you do any instruments? So I tried piano when I was like five. I did piano from like five to seven or something like that. But then I gave up because I was like, oh, no, I want to watch cartoons. I don't want to play the piano one hour a day. You know, I just didn't have the thing in me. Um, but then I went to ballet and I did ballet for 10 years, um, which was like the best time of my life. I did I did everything. What was it know? about ballet that you loved so much? The fact that it could be my safe place. Kids can be really mean, let's say, and a lot of people would like try to make fun of my clothes or how I look and all that stuff. And ballet was the place I would go and just be like, I'm in my world. Mm. You know, I'm doing what I love. And my my teacher Pat- Patricia, she was always like you know, more than a teacher, she was really my friend. And she just knew that, you know, we were creating a a safe environment in there. And all my class, I have a love for them that I probably will never have for someone else because they just got me through, you know, hard times. Most of us are all aboard. You know, we are not in Portugal. Mm. And it's quite amazing because I think this is a lot of inspiration, you know, also from what we all go through in life, but also, also from my teacher because she was always like look at like western theaters look at these movies and all that stuff and you just end up like creating a passion for it mm-hmm. not only for what exists back in back home but what exists outside yeah those people probably helped shape the stream of yours to look beyond like the four walls of portugal and that yeah. probably uh, was clearly such an inspir- ins- inspiring environment in your dance class how old were you when when you did dance so i started when i was 6 and i danced until 16 Okay. Um, so yeah, we did a lot. You know, we did like Pocahontas, Tinkerbell. Mm. We did cab- we did cabaret. We did so many things that literally showed me that the um, entertainment industry is not only music. You know, mm. there's so much to explore. And yeah, and so I did that. I didn't do anything else related with music. Um, and then when I was 17, I, I stopped ballet because, you know, my body just couldn't keep up and I wasn't very good at it, even though I loved it. But I knew I was never meant to be on in the spotlight in a way to say. 
I was always really good in like socializing, being behind the backstage, trying to like manage everything. I was always really good in that, and it's what I really like to do. Um, but I spotlight is not for me. I don't want like people to clap to me, or you know, I don't want that. So, so yeah, so when I stopped ballet, I was like, no, I need something to keep me creative. Mm. So I went back to piano when I was 17. Oh, okay. And I have been playing since then. Wow. Um, yeah, so, you know, in the end, kind of everything works out. Yeah, and do you think that, because you, you went through some bullying when you were in your child, throughout your childhood, yeah. how do you think that ballet and having that as an outlet sort of helped you? You know, I think, unfortunately, bullying came into my life when my granddad passed away and my granddad is like is everything to me will always be and ballet was you know I was having like three days class a week for ballet and it's like two hours each class so it's like those two hours I would go in and would be like okay let's do bar exam anything And I would just focus on that. I would be like, I know I'm not really good. I know I have really limitations of my body. But, you know, even though I'm not that good, I'm going to try mm -hmm. and I'm going to keep up. Because, you know, when you get on stage, just the feeling of being on stage, sharing that stage with people you love. And then, you know, most of our shows was for family. So just seeing your family really happy, like clapping, you know, it's your family. Of course, they are going to clap. But, you know, just just seeing that you can actually bring some happiness just for creating um, a story, characters, you know, that makes people happy, mm -hmm. you know. So ballet helped me a lot with that. Maybe, yeah, maybe I was running from reality, let's say. Maybe I, I used ballet a lot to Escapism. escape. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can admit that. But... It's not something I regret, for the contrary. I think that made me know who I want to be and what I'm going to accept from people, you know. And since then, when I was able to just create my own personality and I used to be so quiet, I would be so afraid to kind of say to people, look, you shouldn't be saying that, you know, or you are being rude or mean. I wouldn't say that. I was so afraid of the reaction. But when I got to the point, I was like, no, I know what I want from my life. I'm gonna, you know, be who I want to be. And I'm just never accepting ever again someone telling me mm. who I, what I can do, what I, who I need to be. It's like, no, I'm the one who decides. Yeah, that. you're in the driving seat. Exactly. Do you think that was the biggest thing that came, sort of that ambition within you? Was that the biggest thing that came out of that time, such a difficult time with the bullying and the passing of your grandpa and sort of leaving, leaning on ballet? Yeah, I mean, you know, I have I say this is a toxic trait, but all I want and all all I always wanted is to make my parents and my grandma proud, you know, because they are the ones that are actually there for me and you know, to try even though my grandma in the beginning sh she wanted me, you know, she was like, "Arts, Katya, really? <laughs> That's not a really good one," you know. But the thing is, the more I did, the more I showed her that I could do it. She became such a important part of my growth, mm. you know, and she was always, come on, okay, I'll help you. I'll be there for you. And even now I'm in London. Of course, she would prefer me to be back home, you know, but she's a, the first person that is like, yeah, do it. I know you can, you know, and my mom, my dad, I mean, You know, I own I own them everything because they taught me who to be, you know, and even though, of course, life is never perfect, never will be. But 
while you are growing up, you are the one that can decide who you want to be, you know, from now on. And I think I always had that mindset. And even now I have that mindset. It's like everything that happens in my life, I stop and I'm like, okay, I have two choices. Or I give up and I just let these obstacles and bad things kind of affect me. Or I'm going to wake up the next day and just keep going. You know, and some uh, there, there was one person that told me this, and I just think it's so accurate. That is, no one knows what the, we are fucking doing. This is the truth. You know, we don't know what we are doing. And sometimes we just need to wake up the next morning and be like, I'm doing it, mm-hmm. whatever I need to do, but I'm just going to keep going. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's what I have been doing since, you know, since I was 13. I was like, no, I'm just going to keep doing and see what life brings. Mm-hmm. I know where I want to be. So the process, I will, it, it's part of me, but it's part of the universe too, you know? Just let's see what happens. I think it's allowing you, you sort of, as long as you're doing the work and working as hard as you can and not letting your own doubts and your own head prevent you from continuing to sort of get better and progress and grow then the universe is is going to provide you with these obstacles and challenges to sort of shape you and test you and teach you through learning. No one's – people are always going to be more talented, smarter, better looking than you. I'm pretty sure this is a Gigi Hadid quote, but (laughs) there's always going to be someone who's smarter and better looking than you or more talented. So it just comes down to how hard are you willing to work or the work ethic. And the sacrifices. Mm. A lot is about sacrificing, you know. Um, I mean, when I came to London, I I wanted to come to London when I was 18. So I finished accounting and management uh, back in high school. And I was like, I want to go to London. Back in the time, my mom was like, no way. It's like, you are 17. You are not going to London by yourself. Like, no way. I was like, okay, fine. So I was like, I have no idea what I want to study because I want arts. But Portugal did there's no degree in arts in ma- management, you know. So I was like, okay, fine. She doesn't let me go. So I'm going to kind of rebel myself. And I just went to Google and I was <laughs> literally, I just ch- searched like um, degrees with mandatory Erasmus. And there's what's o- an Erasmus? Erasmus is this intercambio, uh, how do you say, it? like exchange uh, that you do to other countries. Mm. So basically, you can. Of course, your main uni will be Portugal, but then you can decide doing one year or two years in another country. And so basically, I wanted that, but I wanted mandatory because I always thought if it was just an option, my mom probably would say no. So I was like, okay, I found this degree called Creativity and Business Innovation that you need to go to Lithuania and Estonia. So Lithuania second year and Estonia third. And I was like, okay, let me see the modules. And I was like, creativity... Okay, management and counting, you know, um, organizational culture. I was like, oh, this is actually, it looks cool for my personality. I mean, I love to talk. I love creativity. And part of the degree is to learn how to create ideas, you know, for possible like businesses or products and all that stuff. So you need to go through the whole process of brainstorming, mind mapping. So you just learn loads of cool stuff to do like in 30 minutes and just get loads of ideas. I was like, okay, this sounds actually really cool. This is the one I want to go. And I, I showed my mom and she was like, oh, you need to go to Lithuania and Estonia. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but, you know, just six months, not that long. And she was like, fine, but how are you affording it? And I was like, oh, we have, you know, we have the scholarship. And, da, da, da. and she was like, 
okay, fine, it looks a good option. Mm. But like in my mind, I didn't choose because, you know, I liked it. it. I chose because I was like, I'm getting out of Portugal, you know, I was like, I was so excited to just get out, see the world. Um, and yeah, and through time, like after my first year, it was such a cool experience. I mean, I yeah, love... Yeah, I mean, the Baltic states, I have no idea about that part of the world. Absolutely none. So you got to tell us what's one thing that you liked about living in... I mean, Lithuania and Estonia. I mean, I never... I, to be honest, this might sound really bad, but I didn't even ever heard about Lithuania before. You know, when I saw Lithuania, I was like, wait, where is that in the map? I don't even know, you know. And when I got to Lithuania, oh my God, I just fell in love with the country. It, it's beautiful. People are so nice. I met so cool, so many cool people. What language so. do you speak to each other in? English. Right. English. I tried to learn a little of Lithuanian, but it's like so hard. No. Um, Is it similar to Russian? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I just say I just not say hello. You know, Labas. Oh, Labas. It's amazing. It's a really nice country. The quality, the life quality is so good. What about Estonia? Estonia, well, that's another story, you know. Really? Yeah, because you know, it was I had to stop um, because of COVID, um, and Estonia was doing an internship, so it was a different, um, a different way of. It's it wouldn't be like so party, for example. I think in Lithuania we had the chance of going party, going out, all that stuff. But most of us we were with full time jobs, you know. So we would come back home and we would be like, oh. Mm. Was it still your university group of friends? Yeah, we all from all all from Portugal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were all all in different accommodations. Um, We did like I still I still went to a club, but it's so different. It's like a lot of techno, electronic music, and I'm not really into it. So I was like, oh, maybe you know, it's not for me. (laughs) So how long were you in Estonia for? Uh, Three, four months. Yeah, not long, um, because of COVID. But, you know, it was, I think it was the ideal time, not going to lie. Um, and what do you think was the best lesson you learned from your time in Estonia that you possibly wouldn't have learned without visiting there? Honestly, um, you know, I was going through a, when I was in Estonia, I was going through a depression. And I think that taught me a lot about of how much I need people in my life. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I, I push people away, you know. And especially in moments that I am feeling low, I try to always get through everything by myself. Mm. Because in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm where I am because I never hurt others. You know, I never let judgmental criticism kind of get into my mind. So for sure, the best lesson, not only in Estonia, but my times in uni and that that gave me the first chance to actually travel was that. If I'm doing it, if I'm going abroad, I need people. Mm. You know, I need someone that if I want to cry, they will be there for me. You know, if I need something, they will be there for me. And that's one of like the... Physically re- with you? Or do you just mean like even... The no, physically. Physical? No, physically. Because, you know, I think with distance, I have my family. But sometimes it's just not enough, you know. Mm. And it's really sad. But, you know, the thing is, your life, when you go abroad, your life will change. You will have to go through everything again, you know, make new friends, get new people, understand how financials work, you know, manage your money, like so many things. Navigate a new culture. Yeah, like so many things that you just never thought before because you were so 
feeling so comfortable back home, you know, and that's the thing. While I came here alone and Estonia and all that stuff, my my family, friends, they were there. You know, they still have the same life, the same people around them. So even though I know it's hard on them, you know, it's a little easier Yeah. because they have people supporting them. While for me, in the beginning, I was like, God, I feel alone. You know, it's like, okay, I, I can call my family, but they are not here like to hug me or mm. you know or to be there or or if i get sick i don't have my grandma to do my favorite soup you know it's like i just need to go all of that by myself you know and in a way that was why it was so good to find my opera family mm. because we end up locked on together and i had the chance in london in london yeah sorry um and we had the chance of actually like kind of build a relationship and so every time I got sick every time I needed something they were there for me you know and I think that was the moment that I start feeling more at home in London you know but but still sometimes you know when my grand my granddad from my dad's side passed away last November you know I felt again I was like god I'm here in London mm. my family is all going through this and I should be th there supporting And I'm here. Mm. Like, is that like selfish of me? You know. And of course, I flew back for the funeral and all that stuff. But that's the thing. Sometimes you, when you are alone, you just start having these thoughts of, "Am I being selfish?" Mm. You doubt you know? the things that you were once so confident in yeah. and relied so much on. Do you think during that time, especially when you were in Estonia, do you think that you uh, sort of had to remind yourself of the greater goal that you're working towards? Sort of use that your goal is being a producer in, in the musical theatre industry. And um, did you use that as sort of this like guiding light in the distance to make sure that you, to help you through that really dark time? Yeah, because you need to. If you, you need to hold yourself to what you believe. Because, look, I always say this, I prefer to live a life where I don't regret anything than living in a comfort zone for the rest of my life. Because I know if I do what I'm feeling comfortable with, when I'm gonna be 40 or 50, I'll be like, I didn't enjoy my life. Mm. I wasn't happy. And now I, there's nothing I can do, you know? And it's never too late, but of course, further in time, other things will come, right? And and yeah, I just need it. And my grandma, she says that a lot. Sometimes when I'm like, oh, am I being selfish? She's like, no, because all we want for you It's for you to do what makes you happy. Mm -hmm. So never doubt yourself. And if you feel like you are failing us, you are not. Because you are doing what a lot of us were never courageous enough to do, you know. And that's the thing. I think my mom and my my grandma, because, you know, they they came from South Africa. You know, they, they are immigrants. They really understand that sometimes you just need to do what you need to do to get the life you want, you know. They did it, so that's why they support me right now. Of course, there's always, for my grandma, uh, is going to be always like, oh, hearts, that's, that scares me. Mm. But she will never forbid me to do it, you know, especially since I got the job in the industry. I think for her was like, okay, if she's inside the industry, now I know mm. she will get better and better and hopefully achieve what she wants. But of course, before, it's it's scary, even for me, you know. So many times I was like, when I finished my degree, my MA, I was like, God, I don't know how to get into the industry. You know, I don't know people. I'm just, 
you know, I don't know. And I would look for jobs and I didn't quite know what I was looking for because I knew I wanted to be in the backstage and I would look for marketing. I would look for um, PR, you know, but there was never like assistant jobs or entry level jobs. It's everything like executive jobs or more like higher levels. And yeah, and thankfully I found EMG, you know, where I'm really happy. But again, it was, I think it was universe showing me, look, there's a way, you know. Mm. I think my life ended up just getting everything together, you know, All step by step. Clicking, clicking into the right place. Yeah, for sure. And do you think that I can imagine because Portuguese people, as you mentioned, are so family orientated, it's fairly uncommon to leave home and move overseas at sort of a young age or possibly ever um, yeah. from where you're from. It's really, it can be really expensive, you know, and unfortunately salaries um, in Portugal, they are not good. To, if you want to move abroad or you have like parents that help you or you get a loan, oh, in my case, you just work through like three years in bars, supermarkets, whatever you can find and put money inside and then go. Mm -hmm. That's what I did, you know, and if it wasn't for my student loan, for my master's, I could never move in, you know. And if it wasn't for my job, the upper job that I found the family, um, so yeah, it was I. It wasn't my first option, but was definitely the right thing to do. And the universe kind of gave it to me in a way, mm. I guess. So how did you find the time? So while you were an au pair living in London, you were studying to do your masters. How was that time for you? <laughs> I mean, I was getting up with the boys at seven in the morning, staying with them until seven in the afternoon. I would have classes sometimes like Monday and Wednesday in the middle of being with them, staying awake until four in the morning, doing my stuff. It paid off in the end. Um, and I ended up like having a really good dissertation, you know, and I think if I wouldn't go through that, probably when I would get to my dissertation, I wouldn't be in the mindset of being like, OK, let's let's do it. Let's write 60 pages. Let's do it. And, you know, my dissertation was what got me the job. So, you know, the boys actually the boys taught me something that I say to everyone that is like, you need to be patient mm -hmm. and everything takes time, even assessments. And if you are trying to kind of balance two things, work, in my case, work and studies, it is possible, but you need to sacrifice, mm -hmm. you know, for like loads of days. I wouldn't like go out with friends or see my friends, you know, I would just focus on the studies. And that's what I needed to do, you know. And for example, on the weekends, I would try to have a little of time, which was really nice. But then I would be like, OK, now I need to focus, mm -hmm. you know, and of course, in the it ends up being seven weeks in a row, always studying, working, studying, working. But when you get into that, you know what you are capable of, you know. So I think in that lockdown and working with the boys showed me that if I say I can't do it, I'm just giving excuses because if I went through that, I can go through everything. Yeah, That's what I say to everyone. And I think... To anyone listening, I mean, that sounds like an incredibly difficult time, but I can imagine there's some people listening who are like, how is someone capable of doing that? And do you think that that's tribute to the fact that you have such a passion um, for the industry and you have such clear goals and what you're hoping to achieve combined with the work ethic that you were taught when you were younger from possibly having um, 
say immigrant parents? Yeah. Yeah, from having immigrant parents. Do you think that's a combination of that or um, one or the other? I think it's two things. It's all of the above, mm. but also how much I want to prove people wrong. You know, I'm just so tired of living in a society that people just look at artists, look at creatives, and they are like, are you talented enough? Mm. Oh, you know, you just grew up in Portugal. How can you do it? You know, so I know it's probably is a toxic trait, you know, but for me, it's like I'm proving people wrong mm. because if I can do it, everyone can do it, you know, and when I have children, I want them to know that they can do whatever they put their mind up to, mm. you know, and if you don't do it, it's just because you are looking for excuses not to do it and not to put into the work, you know, and... So it's all, it's in the end a mix. So when I came to London, you know, um, I came with press settlement, and one of the things of press settlement is you can pre settlement pre settlement for yeah. your visa. Yeah. So I don't have a visa. I have a pre settlement that lets me be a resident for okay. five years in London. Okay. But I think is if you, you stay away more than like three or six months, you you then after those five months you can't apply for a permanent residency. Wow. So, you know, I uh, that's one of one of the reasons, but also was like, I'm here, I'm in London, no matter if there's lockdown, I'm staying because I said when I was 13, I would end up here. I'm here now. So if I need to go through this, I will. I have people supporting me. So I'm lucky that I ended up locked down with them because unfortunately, a lot of people, you know, they didn't have anyone to spend lockdown with. But I had them, you know, and in a way I was with family. They are my second family, you know. Mm. So it was a mix of everything. It was my passion because I knew I came to London with this objective of finishing my MA and getting into the industry. But also because, you know, I grew up with a lot of people saying, oh, Kat, you should think twice. Mm. And I'm like, no, I'm not thinking twice. I'm staying. And of course, when I came to London, there, there was a lot of people saying, oh, I'll give you two months and you'll come back. Look, I'm here for two years now. People who English is not their first language and they have an accent, even though you speak perfect English, I can imagine that some people use that as an excuse. Oh, maybe she's not as intellectual as she, we may think know, she is. It's one of my biggest insecurities mm -hmm. is my English. You know, um, not because I don't think I speak badly. And of course, like sometimes people can people can make you feel like mm. you should speak better, you know. But what I try to say myself is, look, are you speaking Portuguese? <laughs> can you speak Portuguese? Because I mean, if you can, just let's have a conversation in Portuguese. Mm. And of course, people will be like, oh, actually, I don't know nothing, you know. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Mm. Because I took the time to learn English. You know, and even though it's not perfect, I took the time. Mm -hmm. I learn. I'm in your country. I'm living by your culture. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking your language. But probably if you go to Portugal, no one is going to speak Portuguese. And even if you had, even if you did speak English with no accent, they would still just probably use something else to yeah. undercut well, you. Probably like the fact that you weren't born here. You haven't lived here long enough. I remember, and I'll never forget this, and it comes to mind every time I speak about accents or anything like that um I was speaking I was in Copenhagen and mm -hmm. I was speaking to I met this guy from Mexico he was a native Spanish speaker so he obviously spoke English with an accent he said 
your accent is one of the most fundamental parts of who you are. That's why when in Netflix, for example, when they dub the voiceover in the language and they lose the accent of the character, it's not as good because obviously there's syncing issues. But It's fake. It's fake. It doesn't align with the person and what who they are. It doesn't represent that person, which is why it's not as enjoyable to watch. So the thing I took from that is like, yes, maybe you sound different, but it is one of the biggest things about you. And if anyone ever tries to undercut you or make you doubt yourself, especially if you're not a native English speaker and you're speaking English in an English-speaking country and have a degree in English, in the English language, then I think it's just one of those things you're just going to have to be like, you're a deeply unhappy person if you're choosing (laughs) this to judge me on and just leave it there and move on. Yeah, look, people will always find something to judge. I think for me it was really hard to understand this. That is, you don't need anyone's validation. Mm. You will never need it. You need your own, you know. And if you're happy, if you're doing what you love, it's because you are doing something right, Mm. you know. I think it's so interesting because um, I'm feeling quite like directionless when I was younger, but having this need to constant, like I always wanted to be doing something, I always need, felt like I needed to be doing something that helped me move forward and progress. Um, what would you recommend to people who ha- sort of have that same drive that you have, but possibly don't have this clear goal? Yet? You know what? I was like, I, I had a goal working in the music, music entertainment industry. I had that goal. I just, I never knew which role, okay? So it's like, it's not like I had everything figured out because I didn't, you know, just now I, it was just only now that I actually understood which role I want to be. So what I say to those people is like, don't lose too much time about thinking how to get there, focus and manifest where you you want to be. So if you want to be a musician, if you want to be a skater, if you want to be, you know, footballer, footballer is like, it's like what I say to my brother is like, OK, that's your goal. So the process, just wake up every day and do the job. Just wake up. If you want to be a footballer, go exercise, go practice, find a club that is good for you, you know, and the same in the arts industry. Do you want to be a ballerina? Do you want to be in the backstage? Just wake up, go get out of your bed Go network. Networking is so important. And I know that a lot of my mindset is because I go up to people and instead of asking celebrities for photos, what I do is, what is the best advice you can give me to be successful long term? You know, I don't have, I met many people through time and I barely have a photo with a celebrity because the only thing I want to know from them is, what is your advice? So, is like stop wasting time in so small things that will never help you long term. Surface level and, things. Yeah, and focus and prior uh, kind of put in priority what you actually need. So you, through your job, you're avail- you're able to meet people within the industry on opening nights of shows and typically go up to these people and ask for advice. What is the best piece of advice that you've gotten from someone that you've met through that? Uh, it was from David Williams. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can feel like, oh, he's quite famous. I should, I don't know if I should go. But you know what? I was like, no. Oh, no way. That uh, guy. Yeah, the comedian. I thought you knew. You. Shut <laughs> up. I'm just looking at who it is. Okay, for context, David Williams. I hope that we're pronouncing that right. <laughs> Sir David Williams. No. He's, he's got an OBE. He's from Little Britain. Come fly with me. <gasps> 
That's incredible. No, I had no idea. <laughs> so yeah, so he's he's well known for a comedian um, a career of his. I'm but shocked. Okay, um, that's incredible. So what advice? So did you yeah, give? so I went. I was trying to talk with him, and I was like, oh god, I don't know if I should. But I went, and I was like, I David, I'm so sorry to interrupt. I know maybe I shouldn't, but I just want to ask you a question. And he was like, yeah, of course, ask away. And I was like. What is the best advice you have, like, for me to be successful in the artist industry? And he was like, "Oh, um, so what you do?" And I said, "Oh, I'm doing sales and marketing for a marketing company um, for West End theaters." And he was like, "Okay, so you are doing the right thing. So until you are like 30, always learn from the best." like try to be in the room ask the right questions and he was like you are totally nailing on that <laughs> and I was like oh so you just think I should just ask questions and he was like yeah just don't be shy go to people we I know that sometimes people look at us and they think we are self-centered or whatever but if you want advice we will give to you because we were in your you know position just years ago so just ask the, the right questions. And I was like, look, because, you know, I was like, I know you are quite criticized also. And I'm so sorry for that. But how do you deal with the judgment um, of people? And he was like, you know what, Katya, do you know when you do a good job and a bad job? And I was like, yes. And I was like, exactly. So you are the, the person to say if you did a good job or a bad job. And in the arts industry, you just need to remember you will never, never be accepted f by everyone. Mm. Th that's why artists have different crowds, because not everyone likes the same thing. So he was basically saying that. He was like, if you wake up and you do your job, you put into the work, and then you get into at, in bed at night, and you go through your day, and you say, today, I did a good job, mm. That's who you need to believe. But but yeah, it was like a really nice advice and I will take it forever, you know. Mm. And if I meet him again, I will literally be like... No, he's such that a legend such a good of one. British um, media. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially within England, the comedians are, although they can be very um, criticised and some rightly so, yeah. I think they're such a massive part of English media. Yeah. Um, so taking that advice probably, although he is a comedian and you are hoping to get into musical yeah. theatre, it's still applicable. <laughs> still applicable. No, for sure. You know, and I'm really grateful. It's like, you know, it took 10 minutes to talk to me. Mm. And that's all, you know, sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. It's 10 minutes for, of motivation and you are ready to go. And what do you think inspires you so much about musical theatre? We've spoken about your dancing background and your love for music, but <laughs> is there a f is there a, an acting performing side of you that you step um, into? I mean, if if we are talking about people that inspire me to be in this, it was my cousin Diogo because that's that's why I came first time to London when I was thirteen was to see him play the violin in Barbican. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so he was like when I got into the Barbican, I was like, oh god. The Barbican Centre? Yeah, the yeah. So right. I just got Is that a there. large theatre in London? Yeah, it is a it's huge. Right. You know, and I just got there, I was like, Oh god, this is so beautiful. And then I saw my cousin playing and I remember like crying. I was like, I want this. I mean, I don't want to be there. I don't want to play for people, but 
I want to be part of this, mm -hmm. you know. And sometimes people that work in backstage, they are so forgotten. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more I did shows with Patricia and Patricia, my, my ballet teacher, start showing me how much work you need to put into production. I was like, God, this is what I want to do, you know. So it was like a huge influence on me. But in terms of show, literally Phantom of the Opera. I mean, I was like 14 when I first see like a really like bad video of production. They just did like a 20, uh, 25th birthday anniversary of Phantom of the Opera. And I remember looking at it and just seeing the whole performance. And, you know, and then in the end, there was um, loads of speeches. And I was like, she's, she's brilliant, mm -hmm. you know, because... Most of the productions, you know, because of the actors, you know, because of they are usually celebrities and all that stuff. But you just don't think about, you know, people that work in tech, people that work in sound, you know. And, and I'm just like, those people are the ones we should be clapping to also, mm -hmm. you know, because there's so much work put into it and they are just forgotten. And, you know, kind of bleeds my heart knowing that. Um, but yeah, Phantom of the Opera, it's, it's brilliant. It's an amazing production. And, you know, the music, scenery, everything, choreographies is just insane. Mm. And so your dream job is to produce these mu musicals? Yeah, I have a really specific dream. It's <laughs> amazing. No, I want to be a producer and hopefully do Beauty and the Beast. Mm. Um, I would love that. But I have a way, way... <laughs> like a long way to go <laughs> to get there. So what is the difference between, um, obviously, apart from the obvious, what's the, dif what's the largest difference between being a musical theatre director and a producer, and why have you chosen to go down the producing route? Oh, God, that's such a hard question. Um, you know, director, you usually have more say... You have... Actually, no. You have the saying on the creative aspects. You know, you have... You can decide how the choreographies need to look like, um, scenery. You basically, you do all the decisions, you know, and the producer works for the director. So it's like, I don't want to say one lever under, but, mm. you know, you answer to the director. And the producer is the person that is going to put everything together. So if you want, like, this type of scenery, the producer will find the right people to do it, you know, like the marketing. Um, if... Uh, Sometimes most of, most of producers nowadays they have in-house you know workers, but it's like if you need a specific marketing like outdoor, they just go get like a company to do it, you know. So basically, the producers just kind of get put all together, right. you know, while the director just tells people to to do what he visions for the show, mm. because the director is the person that has the vision. And then he kind of talks with choreographers, um, you know, uh, music, uh, musicians, all that stuff. And then the producer is the person that, you know, just puts all together mm. and just becomes Probably quite smart to separate those roles. Yeah. The and you need to. Business uh, yeah. side. Yeah. And you need to, you know, director can do all of that. It's like it's a lot of work just putting all script, all music. That's why you have the creatives that usually is like director... Um, uh, the lead music, then the choreographer and the scenery. Um, I don't know the right Is that name, produ right? producer? 
set? No, uh, yeah, the set, the set designer, mm -hmm. let's say. So you have all these, like, usually it's five people that are on top and they all, like, communicate with each other. And then everything they need, the producer kind of makes it happen. And, of course, it's also the producer's job to, like, find investors and all that stuff because, you know, shows are expensive. So you sometimes you need some angel business for it. Mm. And is it quite common for producers and directors to sort of pair up or buddy up and... and prefer to work with each other on certain things? I mean, I can't give you a 100% answer on that mm. because unfortunately I never saw any producer and director working together, so I don't really know. But, I mean, if I'm a producer or a director in, in the future, what I would like... When? Is, when, exactly. <laughs> when, well done. <laughs> now, when that happens, like, what I, ex I would expect from my team is, like, let's kind of almost be a family and just mm. try to work smoothly. And if we have a vision, how can we just put it all together, you know? So, of course, you need to have a good relationship between producer and director because in the end, you are the probably the two main persons making mm. it happen. Yeah. You know, so... And um, what makes the London musical theatre scene so special? Like, the West End is so acclaimed and worldwide has worldwide recognition, but what do you think makes that London musical theatre scene so special? Oh, that, oh, that's so hard. <laughs> you know, London, everyone says that, you know, New York is the city of opportunities, but I think London is the city where you are going to be accepted to develop your opportunities. Mm. Um, I think people are really approachable in here, and, you know, you have most of the productions that are West End, you have in Broadway, too. Mm. Um, but West End is just, you know, sometimes it feels more like home and less about money, I would say. Um, I, I love Broadway. I mean, I would love to go one year to work in New York just to see the difference between mindsets. Um, but, yeah, I think I think what makes it spe special in uh, in the UK is that, you know, you you can get to people, you can talk with the, the cast, you can just, you know, sometimes you don't even feel there's a big gap between you because mm -hmm. sometimes when you, you talk with celebrities, you can feel there's a gap, you know, and I don't know, I just, I met, I met Nuno Queimado, he was doing Hamilton and... He's an alternate what? Alternate for Hamilton, the character. So oh, for the main guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he did uh, Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton, exactly. So he did that. I didn't know there was a Portuguese person, you know, um, doing it. So when I went to see and uh, I found out he was Portuguese, I was like, oh, I'm waiting for him in the stage door because I would love to talk with him, you know. And it was so nice. I was like, I know, no. I asked him again. I asked for advice. I was like. What can I do to get into the industry? And he was like, just send loads of emails for everyone, no matter who, just send emails, send emails saying you want a chance, you want a chance. Um, you know, so it's really approachable. And then, for example, Alfred Enoch, um, that he does How to Get Away with Murder. Yeah, he's I, the main guy. Yeah, I saw, I saw him in Romeo and Juliet. And again, I went to talk to him and he was like so open to just give advice. So, you know, I just don't know if in Broadway that would happen. And what do you think the biggest misconception is about the music theatre and just musical theatre industry? How hard it is to get in. Mm. Yeah, I would say that. 
Um, I if that's the biggest mis- misconception. Do you think it's easier to get in than it seems? I think I think it's easier than people think. Right. You know, because I think people, um, a lot of people want to get into the industry and already be the leads. Mm. And this is because, we you know, we all have egos. I think in the arts industry, there's so much more egos than, you know. I oh, know, there's no lack uh, of it in the sporting industry. Don't yeah, worry about that. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, you know, I think sometimes people just don't want to do a little start from the bottom. Mm. They want to always start like you know in the middle or maybe on the top already you know and I think like for example to get to the industry always one good way of doing it is trying front of house Mm -hmm. you know that's what I was looking for first before I found EMG just doing front of house and of course in front of house what you need to do is like give drinks you know just do hospitality but a lot of people grow into the industry doing that. Start front of house and then, mm-hmm. you know, go to marketing, go to communications, anything that opens in the venue. Mm-hmm. So, but not a lot of people will put the time to do it, you know, because people just feel, oh, hospitality, like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes in the um, arts industry, you just need to think, yeah, it's art. Of course it's art, but it's not impossible if you just look for it you know um because i have a lot of friends that is like oh i can't find a job I, I don't know how to do it and i'm like okay did you try this did you try to go front of us did you try to send emails to like smaller companies you know because a lot of people are like oh i want to work for sony i want to work for universal and i'm like okay cool that's cool <laughs> but for you to get to those big comp- companies most of the times you'd need to have a background, you know, and the internships that open, usually they are so competitive that it's so hard to get a job. So maybe just look for a smaller label, for example, you know, and don't be afraid of working in something small first and then grow up from there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the thing. I think just a lot of people don't want to start small in a way. So at the end of every episode, we like to do a segment called "We." <laughs> I like to do a segment called "What Your Friend, What Your Notes Know," where you get out your phone and read us something that you might find would be beneficial to the audience. I have maybe something that's that's that you a note that you would return to when you're sort of lacking a bit of guidance. Well, I have. Okay, I have one called "Life." Hmm. We'll yeah. start there then. Okay. It was a text. Um, it was something I wrote. Everyone talks about how amazing is it to achieve the dream, but the truth is there's so many obstacles. The process can be so hard. It can bring the worst and the best in you, can make you change in ways you never thought it would be possible. There will be people that will judge you instead of support. But in the end, when you hear the first chord, you'll always be so proud of what you are achieving and the dream even though you had to support so much pain. It took me nine years. I'm not even near to my end goal, but I'm a step closer. Trust the process and the universe will give you all the tools you need. (laughs) Wow, that was incredible. That made me well. Oh, (laughs) that's so special. Sometimes it's good to go back. This has been one of the most incredible episodes that I've recorded. I've really, really enjoyed. I mean, you're an incredibly inspiring person. And I think, um, as we've spoken about before, the universe sort of brings people into your life at the right time. It just makes sense now, you know? Everything just makes sense.